Welcome to Broadway Videos, this week on Broadway for Sunday, October 3rd, 2021. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, Encore Monthly, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hi. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He is also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello. Hello. So the uh, last week we had the Tony Awards. We did. Uh, we did. Uh, last Sunday evening after we had recorded on Sunday morning. So, Peter, uh, have you any th- general thoughts about the Tony Awards? Um, I thought they were more surprises than they usually are. And I like that very much. I mean, who would have thought Christmas Carol would have won everything mm. that it could have possibly yeah. won? I mean, I don't, nobody even mentioned that show, period, uh, beforehand. <laughs> it was so low profile. And yet here it was uh, a big winner. So uh, that, was, that was a nice surprise because it was a terrific production. And I guess we're going to see it more often. Um, I guess so. <laughs> in the years to come uh, with, with endorsements such like that. I mean, winner, five Tony Awards. I mean, you know, that's that's pretty good. There aren't many plays that can say that, even though it was a play with music. But you get my point. So um, I was I don't know how shocked I was that Mary Louise Parker won, but I did expect Laura Linney would win um, so many times. People do get prizes for their achievements, yes. And, of course, both those actresses certainly achieved this season. But the thing is that Laura Lenny's been around a while and has been nominated a lot of times. And, uh, you know, as Judy Kay said to me, look, when I got it for Phantom of the Opera, that was essentially a Lifetime Achievement Award because people felt bad that I didn't get it when I was not nominated for the 20th century because um, they nominated Madeline Kahn, even though she'd been gone for the show for nine weeks. So I really thought that this would be a a type of... um, uh, lifetime achievement award for Laura Linney, but I, I bear no ill will against Mary Louise Parker. I thought was terrific in the sound um, inside, but but um, still, that was a bit of a surprise to me. So, um, and as time was going on, the momentum seemed to be going towards Slave Play for Best Play. And um, I mean, when the season started, everybody said, "Oh, it's got to be The Inheritance." Oh my God, this big thing, this enormous play, and I'm dealing with such a serious issue, and people are crying at the end of Act One; they can hardly get out of their seats. And and I fully expected um at the beginning of the season 
that that would be uh, the winner. People I know who saw it before I did, you know, people in previous saying, oh, oh, it's going to sweep everything. Oh, my God. Yeah. Wait till you see it. You won't believe it. And of course, it was quite, quite good. And but the momentum seemed to be swinging towards slave play. And um, this was a surprise to me. The slave play wound up with nothing. I didn't expect that at all. I was delighted to see um, soldiers play, on the other hand, do so well. Very, very glad to see that. And um, that was a big thrill for me because um, I have loved that play since day one. And I was delighted I got another chance on Broadway. Um, there's a wonderful movie version, but of course, it's not called The Soldier's Play. It's called The Soldier's Story. And if you're in a part of the world where it's hard to see a soldier's play, do get the movie A Soldier's Story, including Adolf Caesar, who died much too young, but he was very, very fine in it. And um, so I was really, really glad that that one uh, won. I, I thought that was terrific. And um, in terms of the musicals, of course, we're all thrilled that Danny Burstein won. And uh, again, I want it to be for his performance. And um, I hope that's what it was. And I suspect what it was. Um, I want it to be for that performance. I don't want it to be a Lifetime Achievement Award. I don't want it to be a sympathy vote. I want him to win for that performance. That's what I would want. I hope that happened, um, even though, of course, his reputation precedes himself and then some. So uh, so that was really great. And uh, Michael, Aaron won, huh? <laughs> yeah, shocker. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> I'm, I'm very glad that there was no surprise there yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, as i said last week i hope if, if he didn't win i hope they told him beforehand stay in your seat when they're just not going to mention the category and that's yeah. going to be that you know um but um didn't but i don't think be. there was any real real chance of that happening yeah i agree you know i have to say too um and you know it's, michael always says i'm terrible at predictions well <laughs> i am too uh and you know I'll never forget going to this open rehearsal they had for journalists uh, for Catch Me If You Can. And I'm, I'm watching Aaron uh, do his opening number. And I said, oh, oh, here it comes. Here comes the Tony Award. He's going to win this year. And he wasn't even nominated. So um, so I'm as bad a predictor as you are, Michael. And uh, so it was very nice to see. Maybe that's a Lifetime Achievement Award of sorts, even though he hasn't lived that long a lifetime. But uh, it may very well be that that um, is the reason that happened. I so, thought it was quite moving the way he uh, almost broke down two or three times. Yeah, during, during, something. He really had to stop and compose himself in order to not start crying. Because uh, let's not forget, on top of everything, he himself was quite ill with COVID. That's right. Yes, indeed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So. So um, it uh, we had that. And then, of course, um, the thing that people most turn in for, of course, is the entertainment. And uh, my buddy Josh Ellis told me a very interesting story back in 1981. Well, 82, actually, when the Tonys were uh, broadcast and Jennifer Holiday sang, and I am telling you, I am not going. Mm -hmm. um, Lena Horne was with him off stage because oh, yes. he was representing <laughs> Lena Horne. And uh, Lena Horne said, oh, boy. If that girl continues like that, I mean, she is just going to ruin her voice in no time. Not quite. No, no, no. Uh, no, 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 no. I mean, she really um, was tremendous, wasn't she, in, in doing such a fabulous job with that? Of course, the way the Tonys opened, it looked more like the Grammys than the Tonys, but that's another story entirely. And um, But boy, uh, you have to give it to Jennifer Hudson. It was so nice to see uh, the It Takes Two duet, you know, done atypically in a way that we don't usually see. So that was very nice as well. So um, um, <laughs> it was a long show. Going back to Josh Ellis again, he said this might have been the first show where somebody wins a Tony Award, meaning Lois Smith at 91, 
and then is in the memoriam section at the end of the show because <laughs> <laughs> it was that long a show, you know, and uh, it really was, you know, but of course, for many, many of the people in the world uh, didn't seem that long because they didn't see all of it. But that's another story. So uh, a lot of uh, discussion about why are we showing things that are from prior years and not current years? Uh, did mm. that bother you at all? No, because I understand the rationale behind it. Um, once I learned, and it was shocking to me, but once I learned that people turn in for the entertainment, all, all, it all makes sense to me that, um, that we, we just have a panoply of uh, Broadway. It doesn't, doesn't really matter that much that um, they this year and the only year, because a lot of people are just catching up with um, what the years are. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, that famous episode of Car 54, Where Are You?, um, where they talk about Oklahoma is still running and somebody says it's been closed for 15 years, but the guy doesn't know it. Um, people just don't have their finger on the pulse um, and you can't expect them to, especially if they live far away. I mean, obviously we have very hardcore fans who, who know everything that's going on. And again, my demo of cut songs from 1776 uh, came from a 17 year old boy in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. So, I mean, you know, there are, ardent fans all over the country, but for the casual viewer who was turning channels and said, oh, what's this? Um, oh, Broadway, I've heard of that. Uh, it's perfectly fine to have uh, memories of long past as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> uh, Michael, any uh, further thoughts about uh, the Tony Awards? Well, first of all, I did want to say in, in defense of Lena Horne, uh, <laughs> mm. uh, I think I know what she meant. And, you know, for what it's worth, uh, um, while Jennifer Holiday certainly was present when I attended, I seem to remember that she missed a lot of performances. She did. So, you know, I mean, that is something. But also, I find it quite ironic that she, uh, that Miss Horn, of all people, would say that because if you saw her show <laughs> <laughs> and saw the way what she did with uh, several songs, but most especially uh, when she sang Stormy Weather for the second time in Act Two, every night at age 65, I believe, um, one might have said the same thing for her, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, as far as vocal health, but she certainly kept it going um, at that advanced stage. So I guess everyone is different. People, some people have vocal cords of steel and others don't, you know, um, and also maybe something might sound like uh Someone is hurting their voice while they're singing, but uh, they aren't necessarily. It's just it sounds that way to us. Uh, so it's good to keep all that in mind. Um, but I, I, uh, I oh, I have a, a question for Peter. Um, did you really feel that you were hearing, hearing only positive things about the inheritance when it opened? Oh, yeah. Oh, see, I have a very different impression i thought that um there was a an air of disappointment in quite a few of the reviews based on the the uh phenomenal reception the show had received in london and uh so uh in that sense i i thought that both the inheritance and slave play um uh were had received very mixed reception from both critics and audiences and for that reason, I wasn't terribly surprised. Uh, well, you know, I wouldn't be, have been terribly surprised if either one 
Oh, but notice I said that um, people who saw it before I did um, in previews was saying that um, it seemed to be pleasing all the people I knew who saw it before the reviews came out. Interesting. So, yeah, of course, you know, that does play a factor whether we like it or not. We don't like it, but it does play a factor. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely. I agree with that. Um, I did not, as I as I think I mentioned, I was not going to. uh, I did not watch the Tonys in real time. I. Uh, which is incredible to me, but uh, <laughs> for, there was a number of reasons for that. Uh, I, I caught up the day after with uh, speeches and, and sections that I wanted to see. I, I, I very much enjoyed uh, Danny Burstein's speech, also Lois Smith's. Uh, and and Aaron Liz, uh, Aaron Tw- Aaron Tveit's, excuse, not Aaron Lazar's, but yeah. he should win a Tony Award. Yes, sooner uh, <laughs> the better. Um, and the musical numbers, I loved. Of course, I loved Ragtime with Stokes and and Audra, and I loved the Rent guys. Uh, I I still to this second have not seen Jennifer Holiday's performance. They seem to be keeping that under wraps as far as uh, you know, disseminating it on YouTube or wherever. But I'm, I'm sure if I'll eventually get to see it, I hope. Uh, uh, so that's that's uh, what I don't know if I have much else to say uh, here. But, uh, you know, I hope everyone enjoyed it. And I am very happy for the, the winners. I don't think that I would say there was any undeserving winner. And that doesn't usually happen anyway. I, it's very, very rare that I can think of a winner who's undeserving. So uh, very happy for those people. Uh, you know, uh, there was a discussion about uh, Christmas Carol, and uh, I, I think that, uh, as Michael just said, and as Peter pointed out, Chris, Christmas Carol was not undeserving. It was just unexpected. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. Uh, but interesting um discussion about christmas carol was that um the um that christmas carol was streaming last uh as well that they had a streaming production oh. so a lot of uh, voters could have seen it mm. uh, and also it's a you know it it's it can play many road houses at the same time and fit, fill a uh fill a slot there and if it's a tony award winning direct from broadway uh tour of a christmas carol that won the 20 i guess the 2020 tony award i don't i guess (laughs) it's the 2020 tony awards uh you know it it could be that a lot of those things played into uh that and uh but it it was really out of left field but not undeserving uh, quite an outstanding production of it. Mm. So, um, uh, I, I wonder how, uh, I haven't seen any official announcements. I'm assuming we're going to have a Tony Awards this June. Uh, well, June so. 2022. Where are we? Yeah, 2022. So. Yeah. yeah. June 2022, we should have a Tony Awards. Um, well, of course, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't mean to throw cold water on this, but you know, we have to be aware that given what happened to Aladdin this week. Oh, I was going to bring up Aladdin, yeah. Yeah, nothing is certain. I mean, it right. really comes down to that. Nothing is right. certain. I mean, we, we sure the season that's planned would indicate we'll have a Tony Awards in June. But, um, you know, who saw that happening after one performance? They'd close down and then uh, they'd start again. Now, October 10th is the new uh, reopening, yeah, right? They're yeah, they're closed for about two weeks. Yeah. 12th, I believe. What was that? October twelfth. Twelfth is when they're resuming. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay. 
So, uh, yeah, what happened with Aladdin uh, is very much in the news and, and you know, we only have, is there six, seven shows open right now or so? Yeah, but um, the real problem with Aladdin is, uh, will it become the sacrificial lamb, the poster boy for don't go to the theater anymore? Hmm. And it may be that other shows will be okay and Aladdin with this strike against it may suffer. I hope not. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying anything of the kind. I'm just saying the possibility does exist that a lot of people who have been wary. I still have friends from out of town who says, I'm not coming to the city yet. Oh, no, I'm not going to be there. No, no, no. I don't feel comfortable. Um, I, I had a reading of a play the other night. A lot of people said, um, I just don't want to be in a the theater. I just don't. Um, and um, so I would think that if that's their modus operandi, well, then Aladdin is going to be one show that they're going to stay away from more than any of the others. I wonder what the uh, situation is with the uh, the major sports teams. It, it seems, watching the Yankees on television and the various football games, that those stadiums are packed, and they're coming right. up on, they're coming they're up on all, the... And they're not all outdoors, and yeah, yeah, yeah there's a lot of problems with the logic of looking at uh, at this the way you, you just described it in terms of Aladdin. Uh, as far as I'm concerned, but you know, sure, sure. No, I, and oranges. Um, I didn't realize the sports teams were doing well, really. I don't know if they're doing well. It seems like they are. Uh-huh. I, I don't have any, <laughs> I don't have any data to back that up, but it, but I'm certainly the, I, I'm not hearing about games, football That's or baseball right. games being That's canceled. Right. That's right. But we, you know, are canceling weeks of Broadway at a time. Yeah, I do know that um, a, a Red Sox game uh, last week drew 7,000 fans, but they were playing the Orioles. Um, uh, and the worst team in um, at least the American League, maybe both leagues. So um, there's nothing worse than going to a losing team in September. And I mean, you can roam around and have uh, any seat you want in the house. So, um, but I, I have no idea the teams that are really in contention, if they're uh, drawing business or not. Do you think the Red Sox are about to give up another major player in order to bring up show to Broadway? <laughs> uh, James is referring to Babe Ruth and no, no, no net, which is a canard. <laughs> it's a canard. <laughs> they sold them like what? 1919, 1920. No, no, no. That wasn't until 1925. Mm. Harry Frazee may have sold Babe Ruth for another show, but it wasn't no, no, no net. I'll tell you that. So because it didn't take five years to get shows on those days. Today, of course, that's terrific. But uh, she, one of our listeners, Cheryl Hodges Selden, has uh, chimed in that uh, she wanted to hear more about your show, Peter, but also that she lives in uh, Michigan and yeah. uh, University of Michigan's uh, stadium in Ann Arbor has 106,000 people attending uh, football game today. It, so uh, today, I'm sure. Really, I'm sure it's that not Ohio State is a regular game. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure it's socially distanced. Yeah. <laughs> so 106,000 people socially distanced would be wow, reach New York from Ann Arbor, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. um, very quickly. The play is called Very Good Years, and it's based on the Frank Sinatra song. When I was 17, when I was 21, when ah, I was 35, yeah. it was a very good year. And I find it very interesting that after when I was 35, the next lyric is, but now the days grow short. I'm in the autumn of my years. What? After 35, it's all over. Who knew? You know, I mean, that's terrible. So anyway, we follow the uh, friendship of two guys uh, from when they were 18, 22, 36 and beyond. So the play ranges from um, 1973 to 2037 and uh, it takes place in New York City, Hoboken and hell. Now, you know, we'll see what happens. 
Are Hoboken and hell two different places? They are. (laughs) (laughs) They are. So my last thing about the Tony Awards was that Mm -hmm. it was held at the Winter Garden Theater. And so much discussion about how great it was to be in a Broadway theater and how nice and intimate it was. But uh, it leaves thousands of people on the outside that could be at Radio City. So I can see both sides of this argument. I wonder what your thoughts, both of your thoughts are on about holding the Tony Awards in a Broadway theater. Well, um, I'll tell you, there was a a big Sondheim uh, event at Symphony Hall. I'm sorry, uh, Carnegie Hall, many, 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 many moons ago, I think in the 90s. And I remember being there and uh, seeing all these stars do all these songs and some replicating, some uh, doing them for the first time. And it's a terrific evening, I thought, but it's not in one of our houses. It doesn't feel right because it's not in the place that we usually see these Sondheim shows. And so um, having seen the Tonys um, in, in a Broadway theater, as well as at the uh, Beacon Theater, um, I have to say that I, I really like it much more in one of our houses. It feels like that's where it should be. So, uh, yes, a lot of people are going to be denied. I'm, I'm, uh, that's certainly true. But considering the fact that I was hearing some tickets of $1,495, mm. I think a lot of people even say, oh, good. I can't get in. I, fine. I'm not going to pay that. So what's the problem? But um, I, it's, it's always better to be in the place where uh, you're supposed to be. Mm. Michael, any thoughts? Well, I, I hope we realize our discussion is moot because <laughs> they they will always have it in a larger non-Broadway theater whenever they can for that simple reason, that the, the am- amount of money they can make by selling those tickets at those prices that Peter mentioned, uh, you know, they're not going to forego that. But for those of us who don't actually attend in person and are watching it on TV, I, I think many of us would agree that it's far better to see it in a Broadway theater just seems um, so much. It was almost a shock (laughs) for me to see, uh, you know, those people coming out on a regular size stage Mm. (laughs) rather Mm -hmm. than, you know, Radio City, Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. you know, which which is like a football field. Mm -hmm. Um, And I I really thought the intimacy was so much uh, an enhancement of the whole experience. Mm hmm. All right. So that kind of wraps up our review of uh, last week's Tony Awards. And we just have a mere six months or so until we can (laughs) talk about the next one. (laughs) So, Peter, you got over to here, which is not there. And you saw and you saw a show called Between the Bars. Mm -hmm. So tell us about this. Well, uh, this is not about uh, a pub or anything like that. It's a prison drama. And um, the title would suggest that you're really seeing um, men who are incarcerated behind bars. No, what you where you are is I'll use this term loosely, the visitors center um, where they get to talk to uh, people who visit them. Now, this is not a situation. I don't know how realistic this is, and it may very well be totally realistic. But, you know, we have this big tradition of seeing people visit people in prisons and movies. And there's that big glass panel and people are putting up their hands, pressing their palms to the glass so the other person can press the palms to the glass and some sort of indication that uh, we're still together and we love each other and all that. These people just sit across from each other in chairs and uh, that's it. There's no barrier whatsoever. 
Um, I imagine that's realistic um, because I kind of imagine that, the, that it would um, they make this mistake, so to speak. So I think doesn't that depend on the level of incarceration? I'm sure it does. Yeah, I'm sure it does. yeah. yeah. Um, but it was never made really clear to me what each person had done. Um, they they do give hints every now and then. But um, but anyway, you know, I have to say that virtually every prison drama I see winds up with a prisoner being killed and winds up with a prisoner who just has a few days to go in a sentence and he mucks it up and he's going to have to spend more time in prison now because he was so near yet so far. And I'm afraid, even though I, I, I regret that I'm giving away two important plot points, I think you would see it coming. Um, but so now we have to concentrate on the acting, which was excellent. Excellent. And especially, uh, this is a tough name. Chad is his first name. Karstafen, C-A-R-S-T-A-R-P-H-E-N. It's nice the word star is in his name because I think he could become one. And um, and he's especially effective. So is Carol Todd, who plays the mother of a guy uh, who's incarcerated. And um, and she's she's not unlike Rose in Gypsy, not unlike her in the sense that in her own way, she means well, and yet, mm, you know, she says the wrong thing quite often and does the wrong thing quite often. But it, it really seems to come from a place of love rather than a place of I'm just a harpy. And it also is effective in the sense that you think, well, this woman makes a lot of mistakes in her life. And under those circumstances, what kind of mentor did this guy have that it's not surprising it worked out the way it did? Um, about 90 minutes, uh, no intermission, uh, straight through. And um, the dehumanization of the prison system is, of course, present as well. But I felt I'd seen it before. I felt I'd seen it before many times. So um, not an atrocity by any stretch of any imagination, but um, I, I, so many of us, when we write, you know, we, we think what we're doing is so compelling, but Maybe not. So I'm afraid that's between the bars. All right. So, uh, Peter, good mm -hmm. observation because uh, Chad uh, Karstarfin, yeah. uh, his, in, his uh, Instagram account uh, indicates that he is, um, he spells his name on inst Instagram as Chad space car. Then all caps S T A R and then lowercase P H E N. So okay. <laughs> he's aware of this. Yes. And by the way, Carol Todd is the name of that character in Victor Victoria. <laughs> is that right? Yeah, but it, I guess that's C A R R O L L. Uh, oh, Toddy. Oh, that's, yeah, Toddy. Yeah, that's his real name. That's oh, his okay. name. Yeah. yeah. Ah, ah, <laughs> ah, how funny. That's not her real name, actually. I know she changed it. I remember I used to review her in New Jersey. And I can't remember her maiden name or uh, it may not be that she simply changed it. Um, she may have gotten married. But um, but when I first started reviewing her, that wasn't her last name. So uh, but anyway, uh, she she really knows how to get under your skin. Not as much as Sweeney taught. No, but she does know how to get under your skin in this play. And she's very effective. So at uh, New Jersey uh, Rep, she did Jericho Arts, Apple, Place Setting, Whores. Whores. Uh, Mine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, 
you know, she was a member of 12 Miles West, I think, which was a company in Montclair that um, it was such a sad thing. You know, they got thrown out of their home. The same old thing with real Mm -hmm. estate and all that stuff. And there was such a gutsy, terrific troupe. I enjoyed them so much. Um, A woman named Jacqueline Knox was head of it for a while. I mean, these names still were. This is like 25 years ago. And I still remember Liz Zazzy. And I mean, so many other names from uh, 12 Miles West, Gary Martins. They were such terrific people. And they really had something going. And. What are you going to do? I mean, then they got they moved uh, down the street to Bloomfield and the same thing happened again. It's so hard, so hard. That line in Xanadu about the fact um, deals with that. Um, Douglas Carter Bean wrote a line about that, about how, you know, we'll we'll get the arts in here. And then once the place neighborhood changes and everything gets better, we'll throw them out and we'll uh, get bigger rents. And it's it really does seem to be the way of the world. And it's so sad. Mm. I can't believe that type of thing is legal. Mm-hmm. <sighs> but you know what they say, Michael. Everything is legal in New Jersey. <laughs> that so, what they say. <laughs> that's what they say. So, and Michael, I, <laughs> I think I heard that last night. <laughs> you made your way over to the Richard Rogers uh, and saw uh, a little skit called Hamilton. Mm. So, uh, tell us, uh, do you think this is going anywhere? Yeah, I think it might be around for a bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, yes, our friend Giuseppe Bausilio, who has been a guest on our podcast uh, and is in the show, it was kind enough to get me a standing room ticket. And first of all, let me say it was really a wonderful experience as far as the whole protocols of the, the COVID protocol and all that. Uh, they, they certainly checked everyone's Vax status and ID, and uh, it seemed like the, the uh, staff really got the audience into the theater very, very smoothly, and it certainly looked packed to me. Uh, I saw very, very, very few seats, empty seats. Um, so I think and that Hamilton is doing just fine based on my own <laughs> anecdotal observation. Uh, the also, I would say it was one of the best audiences I've ever been in as far as that they all obviously were 100% with the show and they really loved it, but they weren't, um, they weren't grandstanding. Uh, I didn't feel like there was hardly ever a moment where people were just screaming and yelling to call attention to themselves and to make themselves convinced that they were having a good time because they really were having a good time and they didn't need to do that. The only one moment when I felt (laughs) that maybe uh, there was a little bit of that was uh, with the famous line, immigrants, we get the job done. That Uh, always gets a great great (laughs) line of applause. Yeah, it just seemed slightly inorganic. uh, You know, I mean, but it is a great line. Don't get me wrong. And I I love I love the line. Uh, uh, The audience obviously adored the show and it was so wonderful to be in a, a packed house uh, of people uh, enjoying a show that that is already an established hit and and everyone loves it and knows it from the cast album and from the uh, the movie version if movie is the right word mm-hmm. um, uh, you know I mean it's not my first Broadway show that I've seen back after COVID but it's the first in that category and it was an incredible experience and also I have to tell you if you have not seen Hamilton and even if you have um, now is a really really great time to see it as far as the cast everyone is absolutely stellar Miguel Cervantes um, 
as Alexander Hamilton, whom I have known since he was a kid. Uh, I've known him, uh, you know, as a performance. He, he was very young when I saw him in a few shows in Boston. And then he uh, he made the transition to New York and he had a really great part in Giant, uh, the musical mm-hmm. of Giant and mm-hmm. several other things. And I was absolutely delighted uh, to when I first heard that he'd graduated to the role of Hamilton in Hamilton, uh, which I believe he did out of town first and then uh, now is doing on Broadway. And he's absolutely brilliant. Jin Ha, whom I know primarily as Song Li Ling in the uh, in the that awful revival <laughs> of M Butterfly. I mean, it was it was quite poor overall, but I, I remember liking him very much in that. Uh, and of course, that's a non-singing role, basically. Uh, but here he was uh, just really, really knocking it out of the park as Aaron Burr. Uh, I, I thought it was really great to see him in that and interesting to see uh, an Asian performer in that role, which which gave, uh, of course, a different uh, a different feeling, uh, you know, to, sure. to the whole, to the whole aspect and his relationship with, with the other characters and blah, blah, blah. Um, the, the, every, every single person in it now is absolutely great. Mandy Gonzalez, um, who's certainly survived dance of the vampires <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, very well, uh, and you know, has been in several other things is brilliant. Just wonderful as Angelica Schuyler and, um, Eliza Hamilton is Crystal Joy Brown, who I've enjoyed in Hair and Leap of Faith and Motown and Big Fish. And now she's in this and she's really, really terrific. Uh, Who else? Uh, Our friend, another former podcast guest, James Monroe Eaglehart, is now playing the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson. And Daniel Yearwood is John Lawrence Philip Hamilton and Ewan Morton, uh, who I think was doing the role for a while before COVID, is (laughs) just perfect as King George. Mm -hmm. And boy, what a what a embarrassment of riches they've had from the beginning and casting that it role, the truth, right? Yeah. From mm-hmm. from Ryan Darcy James to Jonathan right. Groff to right. uh, uh, oh, uh, um, oh, sorry, what's his name? The guy from Book of Mormon. I'm just blanking. Oh, uh, 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 Andrew. <laughs> Andrew. Uh, no, he no, just God. did. No, no, no. Where's Rob Johnson in the chat when you need, when you need him? Uh, he just did the opening for uh, another podcast called Love It or Leave It, which is this really big thing uh, that just came back. He just did King George. Oh, I'm totally blank. Okay. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm gonna no, make yeah, you, look it up. Make yeah, you look have it to. up. Yeah. yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. We'll find it. Rory O'Malley, Nikki Juven. Thank you. Uh, Thank you Nick, very much. Nikki Juven with Rory O'Malley. Thank you, Nikki. <laughs> I really apologize. <laughs> I apologize to Rory, but at least oh, I, I, I feel know, bad uh, too. Yeah, and Rory's been on, hasn't he? Yes. I, yeah, yeah we had another we've had, another we, former podcast guest. Uh, yeah, great guy. Great. Oh, guy. Rory did a uh, 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 rewrote the lyrics to um, 
the Hamilton, uh, the King George theme uh, for this uh, podcast called Love It or Leave It, which is on uh, Pod Save America's uh, network and listened to by millions and millions of people a week. And then the uh, the rewritten lyrics are just brilliant. And Rory Rory did it. Uh, it's the last week of the week before. It was really great. If you're a fan of Rory and a fan of uh, Love It or Leave It on Pod Save America or Crooked Media's uh, Pod Save It. Um, Love it or leave it. You can check that out there. In fact, I'll, I'll throw a link to that in the show notes as well. Great. Yeah, that was just my senior moment. I really apologize. No, no, all of us, all all of us at once. We, we knew what you were talking about. We couldn't couldn't put our finger on it. Yeah. Thank you, Nikki. <laughs> so uh, Hamilton's still uh, going strong there. So we should. Uh, it, it it's probably not going to uh, wrap up business in January like other other shows might, right? <laughs> No, I don't think so. And by the way, Giuseppe was uh, was great as Charles Lee, and I was really ah. grateful in, in him getting me the ticket. And one thing I, I said, uh, I've said this before, every time I see Hamilton, I like it more because there is so much in it that I think, you know, as you become more f- familiar with it, you're you're able to enjoy it more and able to get more of the lyrics. Uh, of course, it helps if you've seen the, the, the film version and turn, kept the subtitles on. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I recommend doing that at least once because really it's, it's so dense, uh, but in a, in, a, in a brilliant way, a really brilliant way. And I, I, as I said to Giuseppe afterwards, I tried to um, look at different things this time. And I said, I think you could enjoy the show if you just spent uh, one entire show watching nothing but the background choreography. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no question. You know, no I mean, what, what Andy Blankenbuehler did uh, is... Just phenomenal, you know, and and of course uh, Thomas Thomas Kale's direction. Also, the, the I've said this before the li- the lighting of this Absolutely. show is is beyond brilliant by Howell it, it is definitely one of the best I've ever 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 seen. And yeah. for that matter, I rank uh, Tom Kale's direction as some the ten in the t- top ten that I've ever seen in terms of direction of a musical. And I've been going for sixty years, friends. So, uh, <laughs> um, and I've seen about. 80 to 90 percent of the Broadway musicals in that period of time, I'd rank this in the top 10. I absolutely agree on both counts. And yeah, because the, the, the set design is, is wonderful by David Corns, but it's really quite simple. Uh, and so the lighting bears the brunt of uh, mm-hmm. you know, just moving you from one location to another and, mm-hmm. and giving you an idea of, of you know, the different locales, etc. But everything, the, the costumes by Paul Tazewell, it's, it's just, it, it really deserves, in my opinion, Hamilton deserves every bit of the recognition and success that it has received. So uh, you were talking about how wonderful it is to watch a specific, uh, a different thing each time you watch it. Mm. Uh, and and Peter mentioned Tommy Kale. You know, uh, every show is supposed to be this way, where every single person that's on stage is a character that has their own story. Yes. This really is true in Hamilton. Mm-hmm. You can, you know, you can watch uh, Ariana DeBose in the movie, uh, who plays the bullet, uh, mm. And you can see if you follow her, every whoever she touches dies. Mm, yeah, you mentioned that. Yes, 
And it's just really re- that track that she originated. I don't know how they name their tracks. Some, you know, some shows will name their tracks after the actor who originated it. But maybe that track is called "The Bullet," uh, or it might be called Ariana DeBose. But it, <laughs> you know, go back and watch the uh, the movie and watch for Ari uh, and the way she moves around. Because, I mean, y- you look at these things, and in hindsight, it's just unbelievable isn't it yes mm-hmm. oh and by the way on that note a shout out to thane jasperson who i believe is the only original cast remember member remaining and i think oh. uh, i think maybe they think of him as a lucky charm and i can certainly understand why <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of hindsight peter you got mm-hmm. to see uh fault line theater productions uh hindsight down at the paradise factory on east fourth street so tell us about this well, this is a play about the Fairness Doctrine, and uh, that was established in 1949 to make sure that whenever there was somebody interviewed uh, that was pro-whatever, mm. that you'd have somebody on as well who was con-whatever. Mm. And uh, that was something that was really established, and everybody thought that was really quite fair. Let's hear both sides of the story. And then in 1987, there was a movement to stop the Fairness Doctrine, and it's just amazing when you see these people take a vote. Um, how many are voting against the Fairness Doctrine? I mean, you wouldn't even think that this was a possibility that people would—do uh, you listen to the question i mean really it's so astonishing to think that there are people who want to abolish this and of course this is why we've had certain news networks crop up and be successful um a lot of statistics in this play that really are are quite shocking um even though even the ones you've heard before strike you as shocking that 80 percent of talk radio um is conservative uh leaning and um you know it's it's no wonder we're in the situation we are today with um people not needing to be fair and that is true of both sides of the issue um i'm not poking fingers uh, pointing fingers at any um, organization, but the, the 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 onus to be fair is just not something that's important anymore. Well, Alex Sobler, um, Alex is a, a, a woman and a very very appealing one, by the way. Um, how do I know? Because she's in the show. <laughs> if you if you show up at the theater uh, on us the. the the placard outside will say hindsight by Alex Sober. But when you get in that same placard says hindsight by the playwright. And it doesn't say uh, Alex Sobler because she's in the show. And she really is a very, very good um, conductor is in, in, in the way that uh, I don't mean like a streetcar conductor, but a, an orchestra conductor. Um, she's very, very good in the way that she's um, using all her people. And uh, of course, Aaron Rossini, who's the director, deserves some credit as well. But um, the only thing I didn't like very much is one of these plays where people start talking and then wait, wait, let's go over this again, you know, that type of thing. And uh, there's a lot of stopping and starting. And the, the term 1987 gets mentioned a lot of times. I'm not going to say 1,987 times, but it does get said a lot of times. And um, so there's a lot of like rewinding, so to speak. Um, but when it really comes down to brass tacks, when they really are debating this issue, especially from the vantage point of um, the gentleman who is very young, 37 years old, and yet he's the one who has the uh, ability. He's the head of the um, FCC. He's the chairman. His name was Dennis Patrick. And um, very, very, very well played by an actor named Craig Wesley Devino. Um, He's the one who really wants to see uh, the Fairness Doctrine stopped. 
And um, boy, he is going to move heaven and earth to make sure it happens. So it's a fascinating idea for a subject um, and a play. And um, I, I, but it does seem that there's more here than um, Alex Sobrook has showed us because she, she wanted to do this stop and start type of thing. And, um, and I wish she would have spent more time really delving into what's there is choice. What's there is very choice. I just feel there's more to be mined here, and it would have been even better uh, if she relied f- on fewer theatrical tricks and on uh, more actual um, research and uh, development and, uh, and putting more facts and figures in front of our ears. Hmm. All right. So uh, that is running through October 23rd, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. Michael, you saw the applause reunion, which was uh, hosted by 13-year-old Charles. No, Kirk. no, no. He's 14. He's four- <laughs> We're getting older. So is he. He just uh, had a birthday. He just had a birthday. <laughs> Excellent. So 14, I stand corrected, 14-year-old right. Charles Kirsch uh, on his podcast, Backstage Babble. So uh, tell us about this. Well, first of all, Peter, thanks for that, because I wasn't sure if, if Charles had turned 14. Yes. Uh, I just met him in person. If he's, the- if he's a day. Anyway, go on. <laughs> if he's a day. <laughs> I just met him in person for the first time at Christine Andreas's fabulous uh-huh. show. Uh-huh. And uh, he, uh, as Michael Levine uh, mentioned, uh, he seems to have shot up uh, as they oh, say, yeah. Yeah. In, in, quite recently, and he's currently at the at the stage where he's quite tall, but his voice hasn't changed yet. <laughs> yeah, I know he, he is quite tall, and his daddy's quite tall too. Um, <laughs> if you take a look at his daddy, you know that they didn't bring home the wrong baby from the hospital. Believe me. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good to know. Um, yeah, and he uh, he's just delightful and and so knowledgeable for mm. someone that age or for someone any age. Oh yeah. Uh, so he has this backstage babble show uh online show that he hosts but uh so appropriately he thought well why don't we do a a, a reunion show of cast members of the show that that has a this that song in it backstage babble and that's applause uh so he had a, a really terrific reunion with uh, the three of the surviving leads, uh, Len Cariou, Penny Fuller, and Leroy Reams. Also, Susan Shulman, uh, who worked on the press team for the original show. And um, three people from the, I guess you would say, the ensemble, Michael Misita, Marilyn Dono, and Patty DeBeck. And it was a wonderful discussion with, um, as often happens in these cases, some stories I'd heard before, but others I had not. Uh, Leroy, of course, is so, so full of great stories. Mm -hmm. And he told a really wonderful one. Uh, uh, Applause was the directorial debut of Ron Field, who uh, directed and choreographed the show, but was previously known only as a choreographer. So he had a lot on the line. And uh, according to Leroy and the others in the show, when it was out of town, the show was in basically excellent shape, but there were a couple of problems. And apparently um, these problems caused the producer, Lawrence Kasha, to panic. Uh, From what I hear of him, he was maybe not the best producer in the world. Uh, And he panicked and he, uh, to the point where he had Gower Champion come in to see the show out of town somewhere and 
with the idea of possibly taking it over. So the the story, as Leroy tells it, is that Gower came to see the show and and sat through it, and then at the end of it, turned to Lawrence Cashin and said, um, "Oh yes, I'll I'll definitely do it. I'll take over." And Cashin was like, "Really? You'll 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 you will take over the show?" And 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 uh, Champion said, "Yes, absolutely. I will. I won't change a thing. I'll put my name on it, and I'll have a big hit." He said, "You're a fool if you <laughs> if, if you fire Ron Field." <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't, and it was a big success for Rockfield. I, I love stories like that. Uh, you know, hearing nice stories like that about people like Gower Champion, who uh, you know are not going to you know, just kind of jump in in a case like that when they might have, uh, but recognize the talents of others. I think that's a really great story. And uh, yes, uh, um, I was um, uh, listening to this and watching as well, and. Um, there was another person involved, and that's Brandon Maggart. Mm. Uh, he was there as well. And this could have gotten really sticky because the point is Penny Fuller succeeded Diane McAfee, whom, by the way, I saw. I saw um, applause out of town. I saw it in Baltimore and um, I thought it was in terrific shape. Um, so anyway, um, Diane McAfee was the original Eve and they felt that she just wasn't experienced enough. She just didn't right. seem old enough. She didn't seem that. By the way, I saw none of that. I thought she was fine. I, I never saw Penny. I'm not saying who's better or worse. I, uh, uh, Michael Colby swears to Penny Fuller's performance in um, Applause is the best supporting performance he's ever seen at any time. And he's gone to as many musicals as I have. So, um, but here's the thing. Diane McAfee, who was fired, married Brandon Maggot. Right. And so this could have been really sticky here um, with uh, the successor being in the same Zoom room, so to speak, as the husband and longtime husband. They're still together and they had um, <laughs> people always say about children, two beautiful children. <laughs> they're never any ugly children. They have two beautiful daughters. I'm not saying <laughs> that they're not. I was just that's the cliche. Everybody always says that um, one of them is Maud Maggart. We may know because um, she's a, an entertainer. The other one you may know, too. She changed her name to Fiona Apple. And um, so these are ladies who have certainly uh, had a good time in show business. And so it could have gotten really, really um, argumentative and, and hot. And I have to say, Brandon Maggart was a real gentleman under the circumstances. Um, he, it's amazing that he even agreed to be on. You know, mm -hmm. just as I'm amazed that James Weissenbach agreed to be in the um, documentary about Merrily We Roll Along, given that he was fired, you know, so so it um, it could have been contentious, but he was a real gentleman every time um, this came up and it came up a lot, a lot during this um, <laughs> uh, time. So so um, again, another example of how everything about it is not appealing in uh, show business in the theater. But um, but yeah, it, God bless Charles for being able to get these people together to talk. They had a wonderful time. You could tell that they really did. You know, um, so, so many times, of course, when shows close, cast says, "Oh, we'll see each other. We'll see." And of course, nobody ever does. Mm. You know? So so it was, it, after all these, you know, we're talking about fifty one years. I mean, it's just amazing to think that uh, suddenly applause is 51 mm. years old mm. and applause takes a lot of heat. It really does. It applause. You know, a lot of people say, oh, my God, it's it's terrible. Um, you know, I listen to the album. I don't get it. You know, oh, my God, Lauren Bacall sounds awful. All this stuff. You had to be there. <laughs> You had to be there uh, either in that Baltimore tryout. Um, I think they may have gone to Detroit, but certainly at the Palace Theater. There are very few people I know who saw applause who didn't like it. 
Um, but there are very few people I know who didn't see applause who like it. And um, but you really it's one of those things you're not going to catch. It. And please do not watch the TV version. Mm. Please. Mm-hmm. I beg of you. I beg. I beg. <laughs> I'm telling you, um, I truly believe Lauren Bacall's performance on that TV version is uh, the worst performance I've ever seen on a TV screen. And I loved her in the show. Mm. But uh, that stuff you always hear about Ethel Merman, she was too big for the cameras. That's what happened in this performance with Lauren Bacall. Much too big, much too big. And as someone who watched the Call Me Madam movie the other night, I do not think Ethel Merman was too big for the cameras, but that's another story entirely, isn't it? So anyway. Uh, yeah, uh, first of all, apologies for leaving out Brandon Maggart. Uh, I did have him on my list. I just, my, my eyes skipped over when I was reading it, but he was very much, uh, his presence was very much appreciated in this, uh, in this Zoom presentation. Uh, I, I thought, yes, absolutely. He, he actually, actually corrected um, some, uh, well, or he gave his interpretation or his version of, of a couple of things that, that Penny Fuller mentioned, uh, a cu- couple of details that she mentioned as far as Diane uh, being fired and, and she replacing her, but he did it in the most gentlemanly manner possible. No possible. So, uh, so that was really great that he did that. And um, But can you imagine what it must have been like for him at that moment yeah. in time? I mean, coming home every night for 900 performances, you know, uh, to, to right. his wife, you know, how was the show tonight? I mean, you don't even want to talk about it. She probably... Though, you know, she did wind up doing um, a, a touring version or. A well, I was going to say, I think that yeah. that helped because that yeah. that was not long after. Right. Yeah. 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 Yes. And, and according to some people, the, the issue was just that she it was uh, it, it there was nothing wrong with her performance. It was just in uh, her playing opposite Bacall. Uh, the chemistry between them seemed off to some people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and even just the fact that that Penny Fuller was a little bit older uh, seemed to uh, balance the scales a little more. I'm I'm not saying this is correct. I'm only saying that that was some people's interpretation of it. Yeah. Whereas when Diane McAfee wound up playing the role opposite others, she was excellent. So uh, so that's you know I, I mean I, th- that that's so subjective. <laughs> it certainly uh, some, is, and, I, and yeah. I'll say something else. Um, uh, some years back, um, I was asked to go to a musical, and uh, they got in touch with me on the same day and said, "Look, our star is out. The understudy is going to be in. You are welcome to come see the understudy." if you promise to come back and see the real thing. So I said, sure, I'll see it twice. And the other study was phenomenal, mm. but the mm. star was better, but the star was better. <laughs> so as a result, when I say Diane McAfee was fine, she was terrific. I had no problem with her. Um, again, I might've seen problems had I seen Penny Fuller. And again, the problem again was age and experience. Yeah. And yeah. Talent. Apparently. I want to make that really clear. Yeah. Apparently. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Michael, do you know if we can still see this? Uh, I sent you. Yes, I, I didn't. I not send you the link. If I did uh, not, I will. Uh, it, yes, you can still see it. Uh, I'll send you the link. Oh, okay. I, I put yeah. that in the musical moment. It's uh. actually... Uh, so let's get on to that. Before we wrap up for today, I want to remind everybody that you can subscribe to these broadcasts by going to the front page of broadwayvideo.com. There's a subscribe link. That way, each and every time we have a new episode of This Week on Broadway, it'll be automatically downloaded to Apple Podcasts for you. Of course, you don't have to listen to us in Apple Podcasts. There's many ways to listen to us. 
Uh, iHeartRadio places, TuneIn, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere that you can get finer podcasts, you can find Broadway Radio's offerings. Contact information for Peter, for Michael, and for me can be found in the show notes at broadwayradio.com as well as links to some of the things we've talked about today. Uh, we were supposed to have uh, Tony Yazbek on uh, today's show, but we rescheduled Tony for next week because we're actually recording on Saturday instead of Sunday, and Tony wasn't available on Saturday. We'll see Tony next week, but uh, we're not recording on Sunday because Peter's going to be at the uh, Broadway Flea Market mm-hmm. where you're manning the Theater World Awards mm-hmm. table, aren't you? One of them, uh, meaning one of the people who will be manning the table. Uh, <laughs> um, though I guess there's going to be more than one table, but anyway, you get the point. So... Mm-hmm. So if you listen to our podcast early enough, you'll be able to swing down to uh, Times Square area and say hello to Peter. And it's supposed to be a beautiful day on Sunday. Thank God. So, uh, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? We're looking for the names of two women who won Tonys on the same night. One for a musical, one for a play. Each of them ended her show's first act with a song. The same song. The musical closed before the play did, but only by a matter of days. What's the song, the two shows, and who are the two Tony winners? Well, in 1975, Angela Lansbury won the Tony as Best Actress in a Musical for Gypsy, while Rita Moreno won as Best Featured Actress in a play for The Ritz. Both ended their show's first act by singing Everything's Coming Up Roses, with Lansbury doing a much better job of it than Moreno, who had to do it terribly because the character she was playing was uh, talent impaired. So <laughs> Tony Janicki vaulted back into first place, followed by Carrie Winslow, Sean Logan, and Brigadude. This week's question. A performer in the original cast of a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical had an unusual name. Her first name was the name of an actual city. And her second name was not only the name of one of the United States, but the actual state that the city was in. Let me explain. There's a city in, Bev- in Massachusetts called Beverly. So if somebody named Beverly, Massachusetts had been in Flower Drum Song, that's the type of thing we're talking about. That would be the answer to the question. So who had this odd name with a city and a state? And what Rogers and Hammerstein musical was she in? Okay. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, what do we have in this week's musical moment? We have a song from Applause. Uh (laughs) And it's called One Halloween. uh, And it's sung by Eve Harrington, uh, played by Penny Fuller. And this comes quite late in the show. I I think um, this is one of the strongest songs in the score. And it's a perfect example of how when a non-musical property is musicalized, you can give um, more emotional weight to a character and maybe explore their, uh, you know, their persona a little bit more. Uh, in the in the original film, All About Eve, we uh, we do learn some things about Eve's early life that might eventually uh, that might tip us off as to why she became so ambitious and uh, some would say cutthroat. Um, But uh, One Halloween, the song by Charles Strauss and Lee Adams amplifies that because it uh, in the song, Eve narrates a a traumatic incident that happened when she was very young uh, with uh, with her father um, 
calling her, telling her that she looked like a whore when she uh, dressed up as a fairy princess at a, at a young age and put lipstick on, et cetera. And apparently this was really very traumatic and it really scarred her. And it's, uh, I think, uh, fascinating to think that that, might have been the kind of thing that would have lodged in her brain and 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 helped her uh, be ambitious and and kind of say, oh, well, I'll show you. You know, we're often told how um, uh, Bar- Barbara Streisand has gone on at length throughout her career about how when she was very young, her mother uh, told her that she wasn't pretty and that she would never be a star and that she was also told this by some other people when she was very very young and it uh, uh you know in in some interpretations she's she's uh, been compensating for that throughout her life and and maybe perhaps who knows it sounds like mm-hmm. pop psychology some mm-hmm. would say mm-hmm. but maybe that helped that helped her become become so so successful and and so ambitious mean i don't know michael you know it seems like that's the beginning uh set of circumstances for carrie (laughs) (laughs) it just went a different direction (laughs) well Well, yeah no i mean unfortunately not everyone uh becomes successful because of of course streisand has enough money to move heaven and earth so uh (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh that's it was a bit of a tangent uh here's one halloween sung by Penny Fuller, I think really one of the best songs in applause. And it uh, uh, enjoyed this recording. But if you've never seen all of applause uh, and you get an opportunity to do so, it's great to see the song in context. I would I would phrase what Peter said a little differently. I, I would um, I completely agree about Lauren Bacall's performance in that TV version. But I, I would say watch it anyway for the other people and, uh, you know, just to uh, get an idea of the show and the way it worked. All right. So on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, look at you now. And you put on rouge and lipstick Though it wasn't allowed You were so proud And Daddy said, wash your face You look like a whore That's what he said No more And so you went upstairs Washed your face, took off your dress Threw it away, got into bed As though it were the end of an ordinary day And outside the moon continued to shine Remember that Halloween when you were nine Well, damn you, Daddy Look at your little girl now And collected No sign of panic She's alive She's alive So alive I'm wound up Like a spring that's been tightened Dreamy and dizzy But not a bit frightened I'm alive I'm alive So alive